Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Evening, everyone. I'd like us to spend a bit of time just asking the Lord to do what he wants with us. How many know that your life can afford the presence of God to minister to it more than he already has? Anybody say amen to that in your life? I am uh, privileged with the opportunity to speak in many different churches, and I'm always happy to hang out with Pentecostal people. Are you Pentecostal people? Are you Pentecostal because that's the name of the above the door? Or are you Pentecostal in experience? The book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 2. The title of my message is The Presence, and my focus is that the Father would uh, come and minister to us by His Spirit. The presence of God signifies a few things. When the presence of God is here, it signifies things. It signifies His favor, His pleasure, His blessing on the people, all of which are desperately needed by every Christian. I don't know about your life, but I need more of what, I, of what the Lord has for me. I need more. Say more. That's not my last name only. I need more. I need more of Him. I need Him to minister in my life. And I suggest that you're in the same position, whether you sense that in your life right now or not. I believe you're probably in the same position as I am. I'm just going to take it for granted that you are. It just makes the evening go better. There's a number of ways that the Lord, the Father, through His Spirit, displays His presence in the world today. First, the Bible tells us that there's such a thing as the omnipresence of the Lord. Say omni. This is a truth that states that God not only exists, but He exists, exists everywhere at the same time. Some of you attempted that this afternoon. Some of you are trying to be everywhere. You're trying to be at Costco, trying to be in line uh, to get gas trying to be at church, trying to be at home doing your work. How many have ever tried to be omnipresent without having the gift? Ever? It doesn't work, believe me. But the Father in heaven is omnipresent. He exists not just in one place, but everywhere at the same time. Psalms 139 verse 7 says this, Where will I go from your spirit? In other words, where can I go to get away from it? Or where will I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. So it's not that he finds us, it's that he literally exists all over the place. I don't know if you're running, but let me give you a bit of advice from a runner. You can't outrun the Lord. You won't find yourself in a place that he's not. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. So you should quit now and turn your life over to him. The Father is omnipresent. Number two, Jesus said God reveals his presence to us even before salvation with his spirit convicting us of our sin. John chapter 16 verse 7 says, Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, or the Comforter, 
or the Holy Spirit, they all mean the same thing, the Comforter will not come to you. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, will not come to you. But if I go, Jesus said, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is what he'll do. He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit surrounds those of us that don't know him as Savior, telling us that there's something better that Jesus died to give us. And that's in the form of conviction. Not condemnation, but conviction. All right? Conviction is drawing you to something better. Condemnation is saying, you're bad, and it'll never get any better than this. Number three. Then Jesus says that when we accept him into our life, that the Holy Spirit actually comes and sets up his existence, sets up home within our hearts. John 14 and 15 should be on the screen. 14 and 15 says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. All right? Same thing as in John 16. He'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be, he will be, quicker you respond, the faster you go home. He will be, the Bible says that he surrounds you prior to salvation, convicting you of your sin, telling you there's a better way. And when you say yes to him, he forgives you of, his, of your sin and comes and resides within you. How many are glad for that tonight? Amen. It means he goes with you wherever you go. Number four, prior, Jesus, prior to leaving the earth, gave the disciples something called the promise of the Father, which you Pentecostals should know fairly well. The promise of the Father, which is the experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon us when we're filled with his Spirit. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says this. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now these are all characteristics, if you will, expressions or actions of the presence of the Holy Spirit as he interacts with humanity here on the earth, whether we're Christians or not. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, the scripture says that he is there to love you and convict you and draw you by the kindness of the Father to the place of accepting Jesus into your heart. Once you accept him into your heart, the Bible says that same helper, that same comforter, that same Holy Spirit lives within you. He resides within your life. Okay, And then there is one more expression where he comes upon you and gives you boldness to share about him in the world that we live in. And we know we need as much of that as we can get today. Amen? But there's another promise, if you will, that deals with the presence of God. And it speaks of him coming into a corporate setting where there's two or three gathered together. Now, this can happen when it's just us individually. But many of the promises are specific to us gathering together, two, three, four, a crowd, whatever the case may be. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus again said, Again, I say to you, if two or three of you gather on earth, agree on earth, sorry, about anything you ask, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name... There am I, where? There am I, where? Among them. I'm there among them. This is known as the manifest or obvious, or if you will, the corporate presence of, of God. Same Holy Spirit, different relationship, 
but the same God. And the body of Christ can experience this when we gather together. Hear me. You missed this. We might as well go home now. The body of Christ can experience this when we gather together. We can. We can sense the presence of God corporately as we gather together in his name. He can express himself in many forms, from subtle to intense. Sometimes it's specific to only a couple of us in the congregation. Maybe there's only a couple of us in the midst of where he's expressing himself. And it can look different with every situation. And that's not to say that every time you gather that you're going to sense that presence. But the promise is true regardless if you sense it or not. There are numerous examples in the scripture that speak of the Lord displaying himself in this way. Psalms chapter 22 and verse 3. We were worshiping before. The Bible says, But you are holy. And you inhabit the praises of Israel. Understand, he inhabits your praises as well. You just don't have to be of Israel. He'll inhabit your praises. The word inhabit literally means to come and sit down amongst. He will be attracted to your praises. That's what worship is about. I told you last time, I think it was you. Or maybe it was some, I preached a lot this week. This is my, my sixth message of eight. I'm not sure whether I told you this or not, but if I did... I'm going to tell you again because you probably need to be reminded. He'll come and sit down amongst your praises. Not so that you can feel some kind of physical sensation. Not so that you can see a mist in the midst. None of those things. But because he loves to be with you. Amen? He loves to be with you. That's why the Holy Spirit resides in your heart. And not in your briefcase. Because he wants to be with you at all times. You are holy, you that inhabit the praises of Israel. You that sit down amongst the praises of Israel. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were filled with what? What were they filled with? And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me throw this out to you, only because I'm sensing the Lord telling me to do this. If we as Pentecostals believe that we can set that aside and replace it with all of the tweaks and the characteristics and the technology and good music and all of those kind of things, if you think for a moment that it would replace what's on the screen right now, You are wrong. You're not just mistaken, you're deceived. Now, I didn't say you couldn't have both. I'm just saying if we don't have this, we have nothing, and it has nothing to do with the name of your church. It has everything to do with the power of God that's been poured out upon you by his desire so that you can go and share Christ with people that don't know him. We need this. We need this. Say, I need that. Say it like you mean it. I need that. Say it like um, you're not just trying to please me, but you honestly believe it. Say, I need that. I need it. I need it desperately. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 says, For I decided, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in what? Demonstration of the Spirit 
and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you read through the book of Acts, some of the Gospels, you'll find many, many examples of Jesus and the disciples laying hands on the sick and the sick being healed. How many know when you've got an issue in your life physically that's been there for years and you imagine, imagine having that miraculously healed in your life? How many know that'll get your attention, right? And you're going to want to know what? How did this happen? You're pretty pliable to receive the gospel at that point in time. I don't care if you're Baptist or Pentecostal. I don't care if you go to the United Church or a, a, an independent church. It doesn't matter. We need everything that Paul's talking about there. We need it. And it was deemed necessary for the propagation of the gospel in the world that we live in. We need that demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, that happened so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let me say a couple of things. Some Christians feel that we shouldn't allow any emphasis of something that may produce emotion in our worship or during our services because they're afraid of that, and that can get out of hand. I think that our emotions should not be the focus of our worship. But if that emotion comes up in the midst of our worship, and it says unto the Lord, there's nothing wrong with it. How many have ever cried in the presence of the Lord? Put your hand up. This will go a lot quicker if you guys respond faster. I don't know what was in that coffee, but it wasn't strong enough. How many have ever cried in the presence of God? How many have ever laughed in the presence of God? How many have ever danced in the presence of God? How many think that when you danced, the angel of the Lord said, Lord, stop him from dancing? No, I'm kidding. Those are emotions. Those are responses. There's nothing wrong with them in their place as response to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the house. But some people feel we shouldn't have any of that. Some feel that the potential of excess in the flesh is the reason to not seek his manifest presence. Can I just tell you, I've been here now many, many times. And as much as I encourage you and I believe in you, and I want the best. And I said last weekend, I said to Pastor John publicly, I love this church, and I do love this church, but this place is chock full of flesh. <clears throat> and you know what? So is my church. I've sanitized it. So it's more palatable and acceptable. But we're so fleshly. Oh, you took up the offering. What was that? Was that spirit? Did it levitate? And you see those plates levitating? No. Where does it say in the Bible that you're supposed to come down the aisle so sanctimonious? And some of you ushers are very sanctimonious. And collect money in a, in a little plate. Where does it say that? It doesn't say that. Is there anything wrong with it? Not necessarily. But our idea of the flesh and the scripture's idea of the flesh many times are two different things. Many quote the scripture that speaks of doing things decently and in order. And I believe in that. But they quote it out of context so that we won't have to deal with things that we don't understand, hear me, or we can't control. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know where he's going, but I think it's going to be okay. 
Some of you are not telling your neighbor what I told you to tell them. <laughs> and I don't need one of the gifts of the Spirit to tell me that. There are also those in the church who believe that any revelation of the Father outside of living within us or from His Word ceased to exist when the canon of Scripture was completed, then they're known as cessationists. And a cessationist primarily is somebody who has a doctrine that says the outpouring of the Holy Spirit ceased, say ceased, that's what a cessationist believes, when the canon of Scripture was complete. If you're interested in that, if you, if you struggle with that, if you think that that's possibly true, first of all, I have a question for you. I don't know why you're coming to this church. Um... Because even if they're just a closet Pentecostal church, you'll eventually figure it out. But if you're really interested to know anything about it theologically, you need to read the book by Jack Deere called Surprised by His Spirit. Jack Deere was a professor in Dallas Theological Seminary. On tenure, one of the most respected professors in the school. And while he was there... I, it's been a long time since I read the book, so I'm going to misquote this, I'm sure. But there was a miracle, a literal miracle, I think, of healing that came into his family's life. And they desperately needed it. And everything that happened to Jack Deere in accordance with that experience was diametrically opposed to what he was teaching in the school. And so he had to go back through everything he was teaching because that's what he was tagged to teach and look at what he was teaching and look at it again in the Scripture and say, God, this is what I teach I thought this is what the Bible said, but according to my experience over here, there's a little bit of disconnection. And what I'd like is if you could explain that to me. And the Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit, came into his life and began to move in his life in such a way that he completely reversed his understanding all through studying the scripture and turned his life upside down. You see, the Lord always desired to make a way for his people, always. He always desired to make a way for his people to, to, to be with him. That's what he wanted. There was a whole idea behind Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. Not just so you could get to heaven, but so that he could be with you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be with you. He really does. Yeah, even after the day you had today, when you were the worst excuse for a Christian, if that were the case. That's probably the group that are not here because they're not likely to come Saturday night if they had that kind of a day. He wants to hang out with you. Look at me. Yeah, you. You. Jesus wants to be with you. He does. Not just at salvation. Not just for forgiveness. Not just to show you some neat trick he can do. No, he wants to be with you because he loves you. He just loves you. And you want to hang out with the people that you love. Amen? Is that right? Why are you with the people you're with? Why are you seated beside these people? You must at least care for them or they owe you money, one or the other. <laughs> Jesus loves you. The Father loves you. And he sent his spirit to dwell within you so that he could be with you too. And sometimes we get this so mixed up we come to church as if it's a ritual to be accomplished so we can score some spiritual brownie points. We don't start that way, but we gravitate towards that many times. Here we go. The Lord always desired to make a way to be with his people. 
whether it was a burning bush, a box called the Ark of the Covenant, whether it was a pillar of fire at night or in cloud by day, whether it's his word or through literally dwelling within us, in our lives, he wants to be with you. Go figure. Go figure. He wants to be with you. He does. Don't diss him. Don't say, oh, I don't need any of that. You need as much of that as you can possibly get your hands on. Amen? And it's not because of any other reason than the fact that that was his will for your life and to this day continues to be. This is why Jesus came to the earth in the first place, to open the door for us to be with the Father. This is why Jesus said that he had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come and lead us into all truth. Yes, I shouldn't allow my emotions to be the ultimate guide for my Christian life, aside from the truth of his word. That's not what God wants me to do. But there's nothing in this word that says that upon seeking his face, both corporately and individually, that I can't sense his manifest presence. How many would say you're hungry for that presence in your life tonight? That that's something that you want in your life this evening? That's what the Lord had you come to church for. Not just to put your money in the plate, which is great. Not just to listen to the musicians, which is great. Not Certainly not just to listen to me. We'll see if it was great. But so he could be with you. Engage. Engage with me. So he can be with you. I'm not suggesting that he's not with you any other time. Of course he is. We know that's true biblically and, and experientially. But specifically when we gather together like this, he wants us to waste lots of time with him. I'm not going to explain that. If there ever was a church that went off the deep end in areas of the flesh, emotion, error, and excess, it was, and many of you could name one of them, but I'll stick to the scriptures. This church called the Church of Corinth. They did all sorts of things poorly. Prophecy, interpretation of tongues. They had a communion service where they would get drunk. Now, I don't know about you. I've taken... I've taken communion all my life since I became a Christian. I could drink three, four gallons of that stuff. There's not enough in that that has no kick whatsoever. But apparently they used real wine back in the day. And they would have a party in remembering the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. They were whacked. Say whacked. They were a whacked church. That's a, a church growth specific term. That's a whacked church. Okay, and we all know, or we think we know churches like that. And yet, here's the deal. <clears throat> Paul couldn't get to the church for various reasons. He wanted to, but he couldn't get there. So he wrote two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And in the midst of that, he instructed them how they should operate. And he said, don't do this and do this and all of this kind of thing. But you know the strangest part of 1 and 2 Corinthians is when Paul said, forbid not to prophesy. That was one of the, outside of the, the drunkenness and various other things, I'm not saying that there's a, a, a scale here of, of ridiculousness, 
But outside of all of the other things, that, that prophecy is one of the things that they were most confused about. But Paul said, I value the prophetic so strongly that in spite of the fact you're doing it wrong and I can't get there to shut you down. He didn't say that. That's what I would say. In spite of that fact, continue to prophesy and do it this way. You see how much Paul, the apostle, valued the gifts of the Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of God, in spite of the fact they were screwing it up big time, he said, listen, don't stop seeking the presence of God in spite of the fact you guys will go down in history as one of the most whack churches in existence. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why? Because, you see, Paul valued the thing I'm talking about tonight. He valued the presence of the Holy Spirit. He valued it. Can I suggest to you? Let me just say this. A lot of Pentecostal churches across our country, not PAOC, but Pentecostal in doctrine, don't value the manifest presence of God. They don't. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just calling them out and challenging them to something better. We order our services in such a way. Wow, the preacher stopped preaching now. Now he's gone to meddling. We order our services in such a way that if you were to look down the schedule, and I, here, this is what the Lord told me before the service, so I'm just going to get this out. I thought it was going to be for later. But if you're, if you're in charge of leading a service, if you're in the worship team or the front, here's the deal. You need discernment to know where stewardship ends and control starts. You need stewardship to know where, or, sorry, discernment to know where stewardship of the service ends. In other words, you're doing the best you can with your talents and your, and your gifts. And control starts so that the outcome is what you want it to be. We need the manifest presence of God in our churches. It's not wrong to ask for that presence on a greater basis than it's been here to this point in neighborhood church. How many would say that neighborhood church and you in particular need that manifest presence in your heart tonight? How many would say that that's the case? You see, emotion is part of what you and I were made to use when we worship God. David was a perfect example of that. <clears throat> Emotion is only part of worship, but it's still an important part. And I'm not sitting here saying that because I've mentioned the word emotion on three occasions, that that's the only part that's out of sync on occasion. All right? It's not. But it's the thing that most of us stumble over because we're afraid of what God might do to us. Hear me. We're afraid of what God might do to us if we give him our lives in the midst of worship. We're fearful of it. We just are. We think he's going to embarrass us. We think he's like one of the friends that we have that says they're our friends, but at any chance they'll make us look like a fool and then stand back and look at us. How many would say, that sounds like your heavenly father? That's him to a T. I don't think so. Not in the least. You see, when you send your son to die for someone, you have a tendency to take their lives very, very important and valuable, and you value them in such a way that you want the very best for them. You've already invested heavily in them. You're not going to play games with them. 
You're not. The Lord's not going to do that with you. On any given Sunday, there's success in every service, in every church, in our entire nation. We've grown used to it, and we've formalized it so that we're comfortable with it. I'm not saying there isn't flesh in other locations, flesh in our worship, flesh in our giving, flesh in our messages. I'm not saying it's not there, and I'm not saying it should stay there. I'm just saying that we need to be careful to narrow that down to one particular aspect which we deem our worship and our emotions and say it's no place else. Honey, it is. It's everywhere. And the Lord still loves us. The Lord still loves us. He still cares for us. Many in the church have inadvertently taken the scripture that mentions decently in order out of context because they're fearful of what might happen if he controls the service. I'm not saying that this is every service, but that should be our heart. This church is a Pentecostal church. We believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for today based on the initial outpouring found in Acts 2, which was previously promised in the book of Joel, chapter 2 in the Old Testament. That outpouring was not simply a means to an end until the canon of Scripture was completed and it was no longer needed. And yet we act many times as Pentecostals like that is no longer needed today. We need another day of Pentecost in Canada. I don't care what it looks like. And frankly, honestly, I don't care where it starts. It can start here at Neighborhood Church if you're interested or maybe down the road at the Baptist Church. Say, Pastor Larry, do you honestly think that the Lord would do that to the Baptist? Absolutely, he already has. Why? Because they have their theology together? No. In many cases, God breaks in on the scene with a group of people that would step back historically and look at it and say, we didn't even believe that. And yet we desperately desired him so much that we would take whatever he gave us, as long as it was him, and correct our theology afterwards. That's the way most revival history is written. The theology of revival is written 10, 20, 30 years after the revival. The greatest thing that's keeping the church from experiencing the manifest presence of the Father is fear and poor leadership. When I say poor leadership, what I mean by that is the fact that we as leaders aren't desperately hungry enough for that same experience for God to come and manifest himself. And so we will make sure that the situation is controlled so that nobody gets embarrassed. Many years ago, there was in this, in this province, just down the road, an hour and a half, something called the North Battleford Movement. <clears throat> and in the North Battleford Movement, there was flesh, and there was the, the tangible manifest presence of the Lord. It was both there. Historically, if you ask people that were there, they would tell you that's the case. <clears throat> When's Pastor John come back? Ah, oh, good. Okay. Here's the deal. As Pentecostals, I don't know if this is the case with your church or your denomination, but I know my denomination 
became offended by the excess. And we developed a phrase that said, whenever we saw anybody that started to get emotional, oh, you don't want to be careful. You don't want to be like North Battleford. And we grieved the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lifted off of our denomination. I'm not saying that people weren't saved. I'm not saying he wasn't there at all. I'm just saying in terms of that aspect of the move of God, we hungered and thirst after it for years and years. In fact, I know this for a fact because I was there. The Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and the Apostolic Church of Pentecost together repented about that in their, in their conferences. Why? I can tell you why. It's easy. We desperately need that. Not the flesh, not the excess, but we need God. We need God in our midst. We have to have God in our midst. And whatever it takes for that to happen is a price we need to pay. We have to pay that price. There are people whose lives have been changed simply due to sensing the Lord's presence in their lives. Often not even in the church. It doesn't take the place of the word of God, nor does it take the place of the preaching of the word of God. But I'm going to tell you this. The preaching of the word of God ought not to take the place of the manifest presence of God either. We need them both. I uh, was an associate pastor, and then as I said, if you were here last weekend, I preached for a year and a half as an interim pastor in a church in downtown Calgary. A number of times, while I was in that church, I attend that church as well, while I was in that church, a number of times, people would come into the building, and we wouldn't know because we get all sorts of people off the street. And you get a church of five or 600 people in any service like that. It's just really hard to tell who's coming in. But afterwards, they get saved, and, and then we catch up with them after their salvation. We say, oh, well, you know, what happened and all this kind of thing? And they said, you know, I was just walking by this building, and I felt, say felt, I felt like I should go into that church. I didn't even know it was a church. I can't tell you the number of people who didn't know it was a church. We're not very seeker sensitive as a church. We should have a big, massive sign out in the front that just says, listen, this is a church. <clears throat> the truth is, I kind of like the fact that the Holy Spirit draws them in like that. John 4.23 says, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And he's seeking that tonight. People that will worship him in spirit and in truth. I'm not saying, I'm not throwing any aspersions on your salvation. I'm not talking about your discipleship. I'm not talking about how close you are to the Lord, and whether you have devotions with him and you live a sinless life. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm saying regardless of where you're at, bring your sin in a knapsack and worship the Lord with all of your heart because it's in the midst of that worship, in the midst of that manifest presence, where your life will be changed in ways that nothing else in this church or a thousand like it can make a change. Nothing. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Hear me. 
We're called to worship God in spirit and in truth, with heart and with head, through emotion and through thought. We're not to seek a specific feeling or manifestation, but we are to seek his face. And many times those expressions will come through in our seeking. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Mount up with wings like eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. They that wait on the Lord. If there's any English language word I hate worse, I don't know what it would be, than the word wait. I hate yellow lights. I hate red ones worse. I hate it when I go to get a coffee in the morning and I'm in line behind three or four people that can't make up their mind what kind of coffee they have. Come on, it's coffee. Just ask for coffee and get out of my way. I don't like to wait. But the Bible promises only if you'll wait, he'll come. You will mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary, walk and not faint. I want you to know something. This I know about neighborhood church, Saturday night service. You need to wait on the Lord because that's his promise for you this evening. It is. And he's calling you and he's calling me to a place of seeking his face for that purpose. My heart is to seek God, not to simply look for an experience or an emotion or a feeling. And at the same time, my heart is that when we do worship him in spirit and in truth, and if we experience any emotion or feeling... We won't simply cast it away, but we'll consider it through the word as a means by which the Spirit might be using to confirm his presence with me. Maybe. My desire for tonight is that the Lord will come and sit amongst us as we worship. His presence brings healing. Say healing. It brings salvation. Say salvation. It brings deliverance. Say deliverance. It brings good gifts. Say good gifts. It brings peace, say peace. It brings fullness of joy. It brings fulfillment. I don't know about you, but I need all of those things. And then some. And then some. If you came to church and haven't felt his presence for a long time, I want you to know something. That he's ready to hang out with you today. <laughs> he's ready to hang out with you today. Just is. What do I have to do? Do I have to double my ties? Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad idea. But he won't respond to that in terms of worship. Do I have to get my act together, my spiritual to-do list? I don't know what's on it, so I can't say for sure. But I can tell you this, that the only basis in which you have access to the presence of God is the mercy and the grace of his son. That's it. You got nothing. Look at me. Some of you are pretty good Christians. You are professional Christians. You got nothing outside of that. Nothing. How many are glad for that? Because if, honestly, if it was really up to us, we would have a whole list of stuff. 
And when we come into church during the coffee time, we'd need 70 minutes of coffee time just to tell everybody else how righteous we really are. There are seasons of dryness for every Christian. Just as a drought will make a tree's roots go deeper and looking for moisture, so a dry season in our lives allows us to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ. But hear me, just as drought is the exception in nature, so it is in the Christian's life. I'm not called you to that. You're not called to suffer. The suffering was dealt with on the cross. He's called you to bask in his presence. Put that last slide up if you would. We need him. We need masses of people that have been with Jesus. We just do. I didn't say we need masses of people that belong to Jesus. That's good. But we need masses of people who have been with Jesus. Because as you've been with Jesus, all you have to do is just walk by people and they'll say something really profound like, hmm, Hmm, it seems like he's been with Jesus Christ. When Jesus walked on the, I think it was the road to Emmaus, when he walked after, after he was resurrected by two people and they didn't recognize him, they said after finding out who it was, what? Weren't our hearts strangely warmed within us? <laughs> what was that about? It was the presence of the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. And we need to get around him as much as we can. We need to slow our church services down so we can waste time with Jesus. And we need to have an aroma that's different than we presently have. So people will smell it and say, I want me some of that. And there is no hope in this world except Jesus manifesting himself through his people. This is a great building. This is not doing it. I didn't say it's not a tool and you shouldn't use it. I'm saying this will not do it. If it doesn't interfere with your life and change your life as you go out there, then it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.